You'll join me this morning in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, we will be looking at verses 8 through 15. You can follow along in the Blue ESV Bible on page 939. The title of our sermon this morning is Mutually Encouraged by Faith. And our key words for our worshipers in training are Rome, faith, and encouraged. Now, you're likely familiar with the iconic poster from World War II called Rosie the Riveter. It's the arm-flexing woman with the red bandana on her head wearing a blue shirt on a yellow background, and the poster says, we can do it. It started as a simple motivational poster for millions of women who were working in factories while their husbands and sons were away fighting in the war, and it became one of the most iconic symbols for women in the workplace. It's one of the most well-known American cultural images of all time, right alongside the raising of the flag over Iwo Jima and the draft picture of Uncle Sam pointing, he got me, and he said, I want you for the U.S. Army. We can imagine these pictures in our head right away. Well, in 1984, while flipping through a copy of the magazine Modern Maturity, a 59-year-old woman named Geraldine Doyle came across an article about the inspiration behind Rosie the Riveter. It was a 17-year-old girl who was in a photograph working in a factory in 1942. Instantly, Geraldine Doyle realized it was a picture of her. She had no idea of her connection to Rosie the Riveter. At the time, she had just graduated high school, and like many young women of her day, she had taken a job in a factory to support the war effort. She went through a quick training session, she went through a day of uh, safety training, and then was quickly placed on a metal press to work. Well, Geraldine was also a, a cellist. She played the cello, and she feared receiving an injury while working that could harm her playing, and so after only two weeks, she quit her factory job. Well, obviously, she was there long enough for a photographer to take her picture without her noticing, and an artist who was commissioned by the U.S. government used her photo to draw one of the most motivational propaganda posters of World War II. Well, Geraldine was later interviewed by a paper in Lansing, Michigan, and she said, you're not supposed to have too much pride, but I can't help have some in that poster. It's just sad I didn't know it was me sooner. I read a, I read a lengthy article, and it, it detailed numerous stories like this, people who had gone even to other parts of the world only to get there and to drive down the street and to look up at a billboard and to find their own picture, or to see that the work they had done that was of very little significance in their own community in other parts of the world had become very important and very popular, and they as individuals had become very famous without ever knowing. This was the case with the now very well-known missionary Adoniram Judson. Many of you have heard Judson's story before as a pioneer missionary to Burma in the mid-1800s. He endured tremendous suffering, tremendous hardship, the loss of his children, 
the death of his wives, constant disease, constant threat. Judson's life was difficult, and all of it was for the sake of the gospel and to bring the gospel to lost people. On his way to Burma, he lost financial support for his work because he had changed his position on baptism. He had become convinced of believers' baptism as opposed to pedo-baptism. So, for a time, while he was on the mission field across the ocean from home, he had no financial support. He experienced bouts of depression, and yet, in all of it, he pressed on in the task. Very tough conditions throughout his life and ministry things that would break most people. Well, at one point, he was headed back to the United States, and along the way, his wife died on the ship. They stopped just long enough on a piece of land where her body could be buried, and from then on went back to the United States so that he could get his children settled with family, and he could make his way back to Burma. All that was left of his life in New England was his sister. Well, on Wednesday, October 15, 1845, the ship carrying Adoniram Judson and his children made it to the United States. But unbeknownst to Judson, by this point, his first wife had written a book and it had gotten back to the United States called An Account of the American Baptist Mission to the Burman Empire and also the publishing of the memoir of Mrs. Ann Judson had been distributed and read by hundreds of thousands of American Christians. And so Adoniram Judson had no idea, but he was a massive celebrity in the United States. Imagine a day when a Christian missionary was a celebrity in the United States. Countless parents had named their children after him. He had been the topic of thousands of sermons, just like this. His homecoming was a sensation. People clamored to meet him, to hear him preach, to get near him, and to hear his stories and to observe his life. And so here is a man who was serving the Lord on the mission field to the best of his ability, suffering greatly for the cause of the gospel, hoping and praying that his efforts would produce great gospel fruit in Burma. And meanwhile, word of his work and his faith had spread back home across the ocean and had taken off like wildfire. He didn't do this. He didn't attempt to make a name for himself. He didn't advertise his work or promote his efforts in any way. He was simply being faithful to his calling, and others heard this, and he became a household name. He became a Christian that others wanted to emulate because of his faith, because of his devotion to Christ, because of his love for the people of Burma, and because of his sense of urgency to see them and embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. And as we consider Paul's continued introductory remarks to the Romans in our passage today, we'll see a people much like Geraldine, much like Adoniram, a faithful people who in many ways, unbeknownst to them, were known far and wide because of their faith in Christ. They had a reputation as faithful 
believers. What an amazing way to be recognized. So let's read what Paul writes to these faithful Christians beginning in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now remember, we saw last week that Paul gave the Roman Christians a description of who they are now that they are in Christ. We saw that he reminded them that they are called by God, that they are loved by God, and that they are the saints of God. And he gave them this wonderful greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said of this greeting, when you wish anybody grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, you have wished them everything. Isn't that so true? From From a genuine heart, when you greet another person with a genuine desire that they know the grace of God, that they know the peace of God in their life, that their life in this world would be known in the grace and peace of God, that you have wished them the greatest possible thing that you could wish them. Lloyd-Jones said, when a man becomes a Christian, when the grace of God comes to him and deals with him, he is at peace with God. What a blessing. Are you at peace with God? Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know the peace of God in your own heart today? May it be so. I wish that for each and every one of us. I pray that for us, that our desires would be for the peace of God. Well, as we get into verses 8 through 15, we need to see that there are two main things that the apostle is after here. Like we saw very similarly in verses 1 through 7, again, Paul is going to say certain things about the Romans… And Paul is going to say certain things about himself. And if you look through these verses, you'll find that each of the statements that Paul makes in these verses fall under one of these two categories. It's either about the Romans or it's about Paul. And even in a writing about himself, Paul is making these statements so that the Romans, and by extension we, would know what it is that we would live a faithful life as Christians. So, three things for us to consider by way of questions from the text this morning. The first we see in verse 8, is your faith known by others? 
Is your faith known by others? Look again at the first verse there. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, Paul's thankfulness to God is because of the faith of the Romans that is known throughout the world. Now, perhaps it's worth taking a moment to recognize that Paul doesn't literally mean the whole entire world right here. This is hyperbole. Remember, Paul was no different than you and I in terms of his insight into the unknown. And at this time, in the Middle East, the world was, was not the entire globe, and nor, was, uh, nor did the Romans know of the entire map. They really had no concept whatsoever of the whole world and what it really consisted of. So, this is not literally every single inhabitant on God's green earth. And even today, so many have not heard of the Apostle Paul, sadly. But what he's, he's recognizing is that so far as they know, among the inhabitants of the earth that they are aware of, they have heard of the Romans and their faith in the church. People outside of Rome are talking about them. They know about their faithfulness, and it is extending into all sorts of different places, all kinds of different regions. It was a significant thing that there were Christians in the Roman capital who had bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, and almost certainly that was being highlighted by many of the early missionaries. And with that being said, look, what, look at what Paul does. First, he thanks God for them through Jesus Christ. Well, that alone we could say much about, but let's just take note of this one thing this morning. Paul is not thanking the Romans for being faithful. That's an important thing to recognize. No, he's thanking God for their faithfulness. What's the difference? <laughs> well, it is God who brings about that faithfulness in the hearts of His people, and then it is manifest in their lives through the visible good works that they accomplish for the sake of the kingdom of God. And it's not, the, not that this is some kind of abstract faith. It's a faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose perfect works whose sacrificial death has been made the substitute for our imperfect works and has given us freedom from the penalty of sin. This is why the prayer from Paul is through Jesus Christ, and indeed why we pray as we do in Jesus' name. It is upon the merits of Jesus' life and death and resurrection that we make any plea before our God. You have no boast that you are a believer in Christ. You have nothing to offer as way, by way of your own works or your own efforts in your salvation. You can offer thanks to God for all that He has done in you, for all that He has done through you, and that is what Paul is doing here. I thank God for you and all that you are and all that you have. And think of this in relation to what we saw in the text last week. I thank God that He called you. I thank God that He has loved you and he, he has sent Jesus to die for you and you are the saints of God and I am so thankful for the faith that God has put into your hearts. 
Do you thank God for the faith of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you thank God that you are a part of a church family of faithful believers who desire to glorify God, to bring glory to the name of God on all the earth? May Paul's example encourage us to do this very thing in our own prayer lives, that we would thank God for the faithfulness of one another. Now look more specifically, Paul gives thanks to God because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Really, there's a twofold thanksgiving here. He's thankful that they are faithful people. He is praising God that the Romans have a robust living faith. But he's also thanking God that the Romans' robust living faith is a faith that is known. It is visible. It is evident. Now we have to think about that. Because faith is, Paul will teach us when we get to Romans 10, something that takes place within the heart. So what do we mean when we say it is visible? Well, faith doesn't happen in the abstract. It's not something we have, but that doesn't produce anything else. Faith is productive. The the outcome of our faith is a certain commitment to the things of God in the lives of the faithful. And, And we see the good works of faith being worked out day by day. So you see, the the result of our faith and of the Romans' faith was not some private, unknowable thing. The fruit of their faith was evident for all to see and for all to talk about. Now think about this. We are in a mass media age to say the least, so it is easy to skip over the cultural context here. In the first century, there was no mainstream media, there were no newspapers, there was no television, there was no internet. When something happened somewhere else on the planet, people living thousands of miles away didn't know it instantly. Listen, do you, do you know why there seems to be this looming assumption today, probably even this morning as you woke up and maybe looked at the news? We have this looming assumption that we are always on the verge of absolute collapse all around us. Why? Well, because unlike anyone else in the history of the world, we know what's going on in every other part of the world within minutes, sometimes seconds of it happening. Now, I'm not suggesting there aren't problems and there aren't things we shouldn't be concerned about and work through and, and seek to apply biblical principles to address, but what I am saying is that it's not necessarily a good thing that we're always living at a fever pitch because we know too much about what's going on around us and around the world. This is a unique thing in the history of the world. We need to remember that. The first century Christians didn't have that. They didn't know a lot about what was going on in other places other than the information that could be gathered and passed from person to person through travel. And mind you, they were going on long and treacherous journeys. It would be weeks, sometimes months before news would travel anywhere. So Paul's thankfulness for their faithfulness is even more amazing. It's a fascinating thing because in this context, it really says something about what their faith must have been, doesn't it? Look, their their faithfulness wasn't based on how many times they tweeted a verse of Scripture on Twitter or shared their favorite Gospel Coalition article on Facebook or put up pictures of themselves with poor kids in another country from their week-long mission trip 
or put their yard sign with the Ten Commandments in the grass out in front of their house. Listen, some of these things are fine, but that is not the measure of faithfulness. These are not the kinds of things the Lord looks at and says, wow, I'm so glad that email chain is still going. You know the one, the picture of the white Jesus with long feathery hair? If you don't send this to ten people in an hour, you, you don't, you're ashamed to be a Christian? What nonsense. It's a fascinating thing to me in our day and age because everything is so much geared toward marketing and, and advertising and branding and getting one's name out there so others can see and hear and recognize. Now, believe it or not, this is a conversation that goes on amongst pastors and ministries all the time. There's always a desire for this right balance. We want to rightly utilize the resources that we have to spread the gospel as far and as wide as possible. We want to be resourceful. We want to use what God has given us. We don't want to squander our opportunities but all of that also takes money and advertising and promoting. It's a tough balance. But in the midst of all of that, it is important for us to ask this very simple question. Without the modern advances of technology and without the vast resources of the Western church and without all that we have to be able to do what we do today, would we ever simply be known for our faith in Christ alone? Are we known for who we are and what we do for the sake of Christ and His fame among the nations and not our own. Listen, we are not all going to be Adoniram Judsons. In fact, very few Christians ever will. He is certainly one of those believers of which the writer of Hebrews said, the world is not worthy. But a general principle applies to us here. Brothers and sisters, we've got one life. That's it. How will we be remembered? I hope the world will say, you know, that guy was an amazingly hardworking and brilliant engineer, and he did great work. But more than that, it's obvious that he was a faithful man who loved and sought to honor the Lord in his work every day. Or she was a wonderful woman who taught all of her students with grace and patience. But what really stood out is that she did what she did in the way she did because of her faith in Christ. We should be great uh, homemakers and, and pipe fitters and electricians and house cleaners and service industry workers. We should be the best of our jobs, whatever they are. But more than that, we should be known as faithful. Are you known by your faith? We're not talking about radical Christianity here. That's a lie. That doesn't actually exist in any real way. I'm not talking about putting aside your, your work so that you can talk to everyone about the Bible at work. That's stealing time from your employer, in fact. We're talking about simply being faithful in the everyday things of life that God calls us to. And to the world, those things stand out and become quite obvious very quickly. This person is different. Why? Remember last week? Because we are saints. We are set apart onto the things of God so our lives reflect 
God's glory and our faithfulness to Him and our calling as His people. I'll give you a quick example of what I mean here. My favorite golfer on the PGA Tour is a guy named Webb Simpson. Webb has won on the tour five times. He won the U.S. Open in 2012. He's a phenomenal golfer, but he's also a faithful Christian and reformed, might I add, as well. He was asked in an interview just a few years ago, he was sitting with his wife, and the interviewer said, what do you do to maintain a level head? And he said this, he said, the thing I have to remember is that anything I do, any talent that I have is from the Lord. My heart is beating and my blood is flowing because He allows it to. So I start there. And so all I have to really do is work hard to glorify the Lord. It doesn't matter if I win 50 times or one time. There's one thing I've got to do, and that's work hard, to use the talent He has given me the best I can, but always remind myself that it all comes from Him. That's it. Work hard. Your hard work, whatever it is, glorifies God as you do what you do onto Him and not onto man, and you do it with all your might. And in doing it with all your might, you thank God that you have your heart and you have your breath and you have your life to live so that you can utilize your gifts and your talents to glorify Him each and every day with whatever it is He has called you to do. It doesn't take you taping little pictures all over your cubicle or strategically holding your coffee mug so your favorite verse faces out so everyone can read it. You don't have to leave your Bible in the front seat of your car so it gets noticed. What does any of that accomplish? Real living faith is working it out day by day. Be faithful. And if you are faithful, you will be noticed. It will stand out. So what about us? Is our faith known by others? Second thing we see, verses 9 through 12. Another question the the text asks of us. Do you long to be with God's people? Now remember, we we saw in verse 5 a few weeks ago that Paul identified that his mission, his calling as an apostle was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among the nations. So here he's saying, there's something that only God can know and verify because it is in my spirit, but I want you to know what it is, and that is that I am always praying for you. I am constantly pleading before God for you, and more than that, verse 10, that somehow God might allow me to come to see you. I long to see you. Isn't that a testimony of of the sweetness of of a genuine love for the Roman people that Paul has in his heart? Lord willing, I really want to see you. Why is Paul longing in that way? He goes on to say, so that we can encourage one another. So that I can use my God-given gifts to strengthen and encourage you so that we may mutually encourage one another in our faith. That you would be encouraged, that I would be encouraged, and that we would grow in our faithfulness to God together. Surely, we've gotten a taste of this recently, haven't we? We have had to quarantine for a time. We've 
not been able to gather regularly like we have in the past, and so we've felt this longing. We want to be together. We want a fellowship. We want to mutually encourage one another. That's what we do as God's people in the body of Christ. That's what we're called to do. This is how God has created us. And and if you do not have a genuine longing in your heart to be with God's people, to meet together, to worship together, to fellowship together, you have a spiritual deficiency. Or you're replacing, you're trying to replace that longing with someone or something else that only the church can ultimately provide. Several of you have told me over the last few weeks, it is so good to be on this side of the pandemic. Things still aren't back to what they were, but thank God that we're able to gather with God's people in some way. This is so good. I've missed this so much. Do you have that longing? Do you have that desire in your spirit to gather with God's people for worship and mutual encouragement? I'm thankful for the technology we have, the resources we have to be able to try to stay in touch, to try to stay in God's Word together, but nothing compares to this. Nothing comes even close to this. This is what we were made for. I know that when I'm away from Redeemer Baptist Church, especially when I go to Nigeria and I'm away for several weeks at a time, I really miss all of you. Well, one of you I don't miss, but the rest of you I miss. (laughs) I long to be with you. I long to gather with you. I long to hear from you and to be encouraged and to encourage you. My soul needs that. It goes dry if it doesn't have it, and that's not healthy. And then I know when I'm, when I'm home, right now, I I'm, I'm usually have just come back from Nigeria. When I'm home from there, I long to be with our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. I've known them for over a decade. The brethren in the church in Abuja are so dear to me, it is painful every time I have to leave there, and I just so desire that all of them would just come with me and be here. We got one Nigerian family here, thank God, but we need them all. But notice something else we learn from Paul here, what he's doing in the church in Rome. He says, I I may not be able to come to you and see you and encourage you, but I will do what I can. What does he say he's doing? He's praying for them. But what else is he doing? Don't miss this. It's so obvious. It slaps us in the face when we think about it. What else is he doing? He's writing them a letter. I can encourage you in other ways as I am able. And listen, brothers and sisters, we should be doing this praying for one another, encouraging and following up with one another, not just on Sundays when we see each other, but regularly throughout the week. I hope all of us, I have this experience, I hope you do too. I can't tell you how many text messages I, I receive and send all week or emails or, or messenger messages or phone calls or Zoom calls or FaceTime or Google Hangouts. My goodness, it's hard to keep up with and sometimes I have to turn it off. It seems so constant. But the vast majority of it, 
is for mutual encouragement of the saints because we have the means to do so and we must take advantage of it. Thank God that in 2020, we don't have to write a letter and only hope that it arrives in three months and the messenger doesn't get off course or get killed along the way. I can send a message right now and tell someone that I'm praying for them or ask how they're doing or, or see how I can serve them. Do you do that with your brothers and sisters in Christ? That kind of thing is an expression of our longing to be with one another. So when we have this longing, we need to use that longing as a reminder. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. We, we have the means, the second we think of somebody in the body of Christ, that we would just reach out to them. It doesn't have to be anything spectacular. It doesn't have to be a lengthy phone call. I know how much you all hate that. Just send them a quick message. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I hope all is well. Do you know what that does for your day? We need to share our longings to be with one another. Pray for one another. Encourage each other. Reach out. Send messages. Make time for a phone call or FaceTime. Meet up for coffee. Get lunch if you can. Brothers and sisters, we will shrivel up and die without one another. We need the church, and without the church, the fuel runs out of the tank. We need to mutually encourage the body of Christ. Last question, verses 13 through 15. Do you strive to fulfill your calling? Now, Paul is showing the Romans and us that he is committed to his calling as an apostle. He has a calling. He has a life mission to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. And remember, here's what he told him. He said, you are among the nations. That includes you. And now he tells them again, a little different than before, but he says, I've tried to come to you. I've been prevented by God from coming to you, but I want to come there and reap a harvest among you and some of the other Gentiles as well. I'm eager to preach the gospel in Rome. And so you see the fruit that he's talking about isn't something hidden. It's what he has already been writing about, namely the obedience of faith. Paul is striving to fulfill his calling. Not a wasted day, not a wasted minute, not a wasted word, not a wasted effort in Paul's life. Look too, he says, he is under obligation to Greeks and barbarians, wise and foolish. What does that mean? I like the way the King James actually renders this. It says, I am debtor to Greeks and barbarians. Doesn't that seem odd? He says he is in debt to the Greeks and the barbarians. What is this debt? The preaching of the gospel. Again, the fulfilling of his calling. It's interesting because a debt is generally understood to be something that someone owes because it was loaned to them for a time, but now it's time to give it back, right? I, I'm in debt to you. 
Furthermore, what Paul has made clear is that what he has received is the grace of God and a particular calling as an apostle. Well, when God saves you by his grace, you don't have a debt that you can pay back to him no matter how hard you try. It wouldn't be grace any longer because grace is a free gift. That's the point. I cannot earn it. I cannot pay for it. I cannot be in debt to God because of his grace. So what is this debt? this obligation that Paul has to the Greeks and the barbarians. It's not because they earned anything. It's not because they qualify. (laughs) But Paul tells us that he doesn't qualify either. That's exactly why Paul is a debtor to them, because none of them qualify. But Paul's been shown grace from God in abundance, and when that is the case, we are in debt to all. We have a joyful obligation to make known the wonderful, amazing, unmatched grace of God, not because of anything special in us, but because God freely and lavishly pours it out on those whom He loves. If you're not a Christian, I am in debt to you. I am in debt to you to tell you of the glorious grace and love of our God that He loved this world so much that He sent His Son to die in the place of sinners. He lived a perfect life to fulfill the law that you and I cannot fulfill. He died the death that we deserve, that we not have to pay the penalty ourselves. He was buried in the grave and raised up again three days later, that He would conquer sin and death that in Him, by faith alone, we might have everlasting life. And so God calls those to whom we are in debt to, to come to Him by faith, to put all of their hope, all of their trust, all of their treasure in Christ alone. Friend, if you don't know Christ... This is a genuine free offer to you that you would come to Him, and He will not turn you away. No matter who you are or what you've done or how you've done it or for how long it's been going on, if you humbly submit yourself before the Lord, He will receive you with joy and with love. Brothers and sisters, our debt to the world is to remind them of this great truth Remember, again, Paul's aim is to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. This is our aim at RBC. This is our aim in Effingham County. This is our aim in all of our efforts around this world. And how does this obedience arise? It comes from faith, which is a free gift from God by grace through Jesus Christ. And Paul will teach us in Romans 10, how does that faith into this world, into our hearts. It comes through the hearing of the Word of God. So what do we need to be sustained in our faith? We need the Word of God. And how do we get that? We get that through those who are faithful to fulfill the calling in Jesus Christ. So the gospel must be be going far and wide for unbelievers, but we also as believers need the gospel day after day after day in our own lives. 
And being recipients of grace makes us debtors to the world. We have received so much, therefore we have so much we must give. And Paul's saying, listen, I have this deep longing to come to be with you and to preach the gospel of the grace of God, and by faith I stand in the grace of God, and by faith I depend upon the grace of God every day and in every way for every breath that I take. If the Lord wills, I will share that grace with you through my teaching, through my preaching, but know this, Roman Christians, and know this, Rincon Christians. Know this, Christians, on our live stream today. You stand in the very same grace. And you too live and breathe and do all that you do by the power of God's grace alone. And you too have been given a spiritual gift from God. And you must strive to fulfill your calling in this world as a child of God to live faithfully in obedience to the Word that your faith may be a faith that all of the brothers and sisters might look to and be encouraged and might flourish in the church and in this world alongside you. What are your gifts? What are you gifted at, brother, sister? What has God given you that you can utilize for the good of the church, for the spread of the gospel? I'm not saying everyone's an evangelist. I'm not saying everyone is doing the same things. In fact, Paul tells us quite the opposite. We all have different gifts, and all of those different gifts are to be utilized for the sake of the kingdom. Grace has come to each of us absolutely, unconditionally, free from God, and He has called on us and has made us debtors to the world, a world of people who, like you and I, need grace. So this is how we pay our debt to them. We have received this free grace of God, therefore we must freely give the grace of God through whatever means we have been given, by utilizing our gifts, whatever they are, individually, by fulfilling our calling together as the church of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, is your faith known by others? Do you long to be with the body of Christ? Are you striving with all that you are and all that you have to fulfill your calling and to utilize your gifts to fill up the debt of our friends and neighbors and fellow believers to make the grace of God known more and more day by day? May God help us to be a faithful people that He might be glorified all the more through Redeemer Baptist Church.